When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the big Wednesday Buckeye Talk at Cleveland.com. Douglas Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. I'm talking slow because we're doing rapid fire. Haven't done it in a while. It's time for it. Listen, if you're a texture, you're kind of getting a version of rapid fire every day. Because we are answering a football question every single day. Unless there's so much news on the text, we don't. And then we try to make up for it. We don't want to over. We want the text to be fun. We don't want it to be a burden. So sometimes if there's so much going on, we hold off on the question of the day. But most of the time, question of the day, every day for football. And then Monday through Friday, recruiting question. So we're doing a little rapid fire. You know, you get a little this, little, you know, little, little uh, interaction there. But then we'd like to talk it out. So we did another call out for our texters. And if you want those questions of the day, if you want to be able to ask questions, it's a 14-day free trial at the text, 614-350-3315. And we have like 12 good ones. Uh, I'll tell you what they're talking about. There's, uh, are, they, are the Buckeyes going to focus more on the transfer portal in recruiting? And then there, is there any unethical stuff, not about Ohio State, but in general that might happen with transfer portal recruiting? What's the best start time for Ohio State games? What would Gene Smith and Ryan Day pick if it was up to them? We have an ice cream debate question about soft serve versus hard ice cream. We have a really interesting question that I think will go more than the five minutes on. Could Ohio State make the playoff in 2021 with this first-year starting quarterback and still start Quinn Ewers in 2022 as a true freshman? Could that happen? Then we have questions about eating cicadas. Ryan Day as a quarterback whisperer. Could Ohio State wind up with a quarterback who is a top 10 quarterback in the country by the end of the year? A Coke or Pepsi question. Are any more transfers coming? What do we think about high school players opting out? Do they need to get a five-star tackle in 2022? And do we go harder than anybody else on the OSU beats? So that's what we're looking for in the rapid fire. But I do think this transfer stuff off the top, guys, is pretty interesting. From the 330, hey, Buckeye Talk, I would love to hear you guys talk about the pluses and minuses of Ohio State focusing more of their recruitment efforts on the transfer portal. Rather than trying to land a complete class of high school recruits each year, what if they aim to land marquee players in the transfer portal each year? And then a companion question to that from the 505. This is Wayne from Silver Spring, Maryland. 
There's an ESPN article today that notes widespread concern that opposing coaches are proactively and unethically recruiting players on other teams to enter the transfer portal. It cites SEC and the Big Ten specifically. It seems like an unhealthy recruiting development. Your thoughts? So those are two questions in the same area, Nathan. How much is it going to happen? And is there any part of this that could enter like dangerous territory? So they're related enough. You can answer both at the same time. There's definitely strategy here. And most of this, most of these questions are kind of from a big dog perspective. So if you're a big dog, you know, it's like, hey, maybe we don't need to hit the high school guys as much because we know we're going to have the pick of the litter in the portal. And also we might not just have the pick of the litter. We might be whispering sweet nothings in the ears of guys from mid-tier opponents saying, hey, you'd look good in scarlet and gray next year. What do you think of the whole thing, Nathan? Well, I'll answer the first question first. I don't think you can make assuming that there will be someone for whatever need you have waiting in the transfer portal for you every year. I know that the second question then probably plays into that as to whether you can kind of make that happen for yourself. But let's go back to a year ago when the running back room was in uh, to use Ryan day's word, which he didn't necessarily mean directly this way at the time, but crisis, um, if Trey Sermon weren't transferring from Oklahoma, I, I don't know what the other great option Ohio State would have had. You know, this year we've talked about how they could use more help at defensive back. I've answered this question a few times to texters. There weren't really any, like, great – there weren't any, like, uh, Jonah Jackson equivalent cornerbacks available this year or safeties. Like, there just wasn't an abundance in the transfer portal. So I think you have to do your diligence every year – as to who has become available and whether those match up with the needs you have and then pursue those aggressively. But I'm, I think any program that makes you, it has to kind of be the fill in, right? It has to be the backup plan. If it's too big of a part of your primary plan, you are leaving yourself really exposed. You can't assume that there's going to be somebody at that position every year. I don't know if you guys want to talk about that before we move on to the second thing, because I think that second thing, that's where it does become interesting, right? Can you make it happen for yourself by being proactive behind the scenes and, and, and flushing out the player you need, I suppose. It it is hard for me still at the moment. And maybe it's because I'm old and maybe I'm slow to the draw on this, Steven, but it still is hard for me to look at the transfer portal as anything other than a backup plan, right? That like, Hey, we have a hole. Let's fill it in the transfer portal. That it, that it would become like a, hey, we're going to be able to get like two or three excellent players every year. So that's going to somehow affect our high school recruiting. It's hard for me to get there at the moment, Stephen. But maybe maybe I'm just not looking at it the right way. Can you see that? Where they're actually, and I think there would be a numerical effect. Because again, we're talking about 85. And if it's like, well, we're, we're planning to get three or four portal guys every year so that means our recruiting class is going to be 20 or 21 we're never going to go to 24 or 25 because we got to have portal room could we see that kind of plan an actual plan i don't someone's gonna try it i don't think the big dogs can do that or should do that because they don't have to do that they're gonna go get the best players and we've said it multiple times nick saban said it the best players aren't gonna transfer 
So if that's the case, just go get the best players out of high school, and then you use the transfer portal when you do have a miss. Because every so often you're going to have misses at positions, whether for Ohio State it's been interior linemen or running backs or quarterbacks, and you go plug that guy in. Now they've probably got the best version of those plugs the three times they've done it, but that's the point is they went and go got a plug. Alabama just did it with Jamison Williams because their 2019 recruiting class for the wide receiver room wasn't all that great. That's how I think the best programs who are competing for national championships are going to continue to use this because they don't have to you. It doesn't have to be a primary thing like it would be for Northwestern of why don't we just not worry about recruiting quarterbacks because all the great quarterbacks are going to go to one of these four schools and all of them can't start. So that's where we find our quarterback. But when you're one of the four five, six, seven best programs in the country, I don't think you have to use it like that. It can be more of just a, a way to erase your mistake. Basically. Well, I, I think th- even the Northwestern would still prefer to recruit and develop a great quarterback that it could keep for yeah. three or four years. I disagree with that. You don't think going. they would rather do that? No, because they think they get a higher level of talent this way. And like, would they rather get that? I mean, Pat Fitzgerald loved Justin Fields and he was in early on Justin right. Fields. They're never going to get Justin Fields in recruiting. So they think they get a better level of talent at quarterback in the portal. And it's already partially developed and they know he's good. So when you're when you're Northwestern and you're recruiting a high school quarterback, you're not getting a five star. You're not really getting a four star. So you are rolling the dice on like a three star kid number 300 player in the country, which is pretty good being awesome. But if you can get Peyton Ramsey or Ryan Helinski and those guys, I think that will be their plan. And I think that for them, I think they are like a perfect example Mm -hmm. of where the transfer portal will supersede high school recruiting and they're fine with it. And it does become a plan. I just don't think they can't get the high school guys at the same level. Ryan Helinski at a high school would never have come to Northwestern. I think saying that's a realistic assessment of what they have to do is different than saying that's what they would prefer to do. I think they're living in the real world. They're living in the real world. Uh, They'd rather get Justin Fields, but Pat Fitzgerald knows it's never going to happen. So like, what's, what's the difference? Like they'd rather recruit Trevor Lawrence. They're never going to get Trevor Lawrence. So this is plan B, right? I mean, I just, and you don't, still don't get Trevor Lawrence. You just but again, get the, it's the next the you get instead of getting the guy who's the best player, you get the second best player on a team, which can change the way your your season can go indefinitely. So yeah, I for that yeah, Northwesterns of the world are the perfect teams to use as far whether they prefer to do it or not. This this is the way they're going to have to do it if they want to ever try to compete on this level. Yeah, I mean we don't get, need to get tied up in this argument, but it, it is Plan B. It's not their Plan A. I think it will become their Plan A. Because what's plan A? I mean, is plan A for every team recruit the best player in the country at every position? I mean, that's not really everybody's plan A because it's plan fantasy. So, like, like it's not like Ohio, it's not like Northwestern spends a lot of time trying to recruit Trevor Lawrence. So, is Trevor Lawrence everybody's plan A? No, I don't, I don't think it is. So, I, I think this becomes their plan A. Plan A is doing enough to build a relationship during the recruiting process and understanding that this kid's never going to come to you so that you can come back to that when he does go on the transfer portal, literally similar to what Tony Offer did to get Trey Sermon. They had already had established a relationship, even if he knew Trey Sermon was never coming to Ohio State. I agree that Northwestern's never going to get the guy who's ranked like first or second in the country. That's that's not going to happen. Um, but I think the other thing here, too, is that I think fans sometimes see how well this has worked in basketball. Um, and it's just such a different 
scenario, right? I mean, Steven, you've seen it like Eric yeah. Musselman in Nevada went in and got just a big batch of transfers and kind of overnight turned that into a more respectable program. And that sort of approach can work in basketball in a way that I don't think it can work in football where you can do that and get one year. Now, Indiana is actually, it's interesting, has had a big influx of transfers this past year. So we'll see how that works for them. Like, you know, how much that has enhanced what they already had coming back into this year. I think if it's a plan, it's got to be focused on certain positions. So it's got to be for Northwestern, it's probably quarterback for, I don't know, Texas A&M, it's wide receiver or defensive line. You It can't be your whole roster, no. But if you have a zeroed in focus on, okay, we're going to use the transfer portal for this position every single year, then it can work because it does have to be a little bit more focused because it's more people. I don't know that that's true. If Northwestern says our plan is to get every disgruntled backup at Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, and every step-up player at Northern Illinois and and Ball State, right? And, like, we're going to get 10 of them a year. And we don't know exactly where the positions are going to be, but we are going to do that. But it has to be the right kind of school. I think a Northwestern is a perfect example. They're, like, the 25th best program in the country. The top, I, don't, I think this has the least effect in terms of transfer portal planning on the top six schools because it's rare. You will get a couple step up guys like Jonah Jackson, that kind of thing, but you have your pick of the litter already. So why would you turn your back on the high school guys? And then most of the time now, Jonah Jackson's a step up guy. Like Alabama getting Jamison Williams, that's a step down guy, right? So it's like if you're a place, if you're one of the top six schools, you might get all Americans from lesser schools, right? Maybe Chuba Hubbard, the next Chuba Hubbard says, I'm really good at Oklahoma State, but I'm just going to transfer to Clemson, right? You get some of those. But if you're getting other stuff, you don't really want – not reject's not the right word, but it's like Jamison Williams didn't have a role here, so he went to Alabama. Alabama, they shouldn't plan on that. They'd rather recruit Jerry Judy and, and Jalen Waddell. But I think the next – and then the next tier down, which is like the Penn State tier, what could they plan on? I still think they get enough good high school kids that they don't want to over-plan on the portal. But the third tier, the third tier, if they just say like, it's like if you said to Pat Fitzgerald, who's your Pat Fitzgerald, who's your quarterback in two years? And he's like, whoever's not the quarterback at Ohio State, that actually is a is a pretty good plan because one of these guys is going to leave. And if Pat Fitzgerald is establishing Northwestern as a place that's like, this is a great option for you. You can get to the Big Ten championship game, but you're going to come in and be the guy. I think that makes sense. So, so tier one, no, don't plan on the portal more than high school tier two, still probably not tier three. I think you can make a plan. I think you can make a plan, not just positionally. I think you could say we're going to take 15 high schoolers every year and we're going to take eight to 12 portal guys every year. I think I agree with that. And if, as a matter of fact, maybe tier two is where like, it's a little bit more focused because that's where LSU gets Joe Burrow. And all of a sudden they're in tier one for a year. Penn State can just go, well, I don't know who our quarterback is in 2021, but if Kyle McCord doesn't win the job at Ohio State, come on home, Kyle McCord. So that's what it is. Depending on what tier you're in is how much you can use it to be to rely on in comparison to it just being like a one off. 
But I don't think for Ohio State. That is not the primary option, though. I mean, because they don't know for sure that Kyle McCord is going to be available. But, but who, so who doesn't know? Penn State or Northwestern? Either one. But somebody's going to be available. And Ohio State quarterback is going to be available. Or, you know, the guy at, I don't know who DJ Uwangalale's backup is at Clemson right now, but he's going to be available. Fomachaw, yeah. Like, uh, like guys are going to be available. Guys are always available. So I just think there's enough certainty because I do think we're going to see more of it, right? I mean, it's like the Peyton Ramsey thing, the Ryan Helinski thing, the Hunter Johnson thing. Like Northwestern's gone to this well several times, and there's always a guy there. They go to the well, and there's water there. You don't know exactly who's in the water, who's the boy in the well. When you drop your bucket down there, somebody comes up in the bucket. And the guy coming up in the bucket is probably better than anybody you could get out of high school. So I just, I just think that that tier three. But to get back to Ohio State, Nathan, I don't think it'll ever be primary at Ohio State. Could you see a world where, all right, we see Justin Fields, we see Jonah Jackson, we see Trey Sermon, but it is like one a year. Henry To'o almost happened, right? Like that would have been the one this year. Could you see a world where it is more than one and it's enough at Ohio State that they take fewer high school guys, that they start capping their high school class at 22 or 23 because they start planning on three transfer portal guys a year? Could you see that? No, I don't think they would need to ever cap the recruiting, partially because the attrition is always going to be there, too. You know what I mean? Like that, that'll happen on its own. You don't need to cap the recruiting. There's going to be guys who leave because of the competition is what it is here. It's so hard to get a starting spot at Ohio state. I think the other thing to remember is that when Ohio state gets those guys who are ranked, I mean, this is exactly what happened with the defensive backs. It's exactly what I told people when I was texting about this earlier, like, you know, people were asking, are they going to get a transfer defensive back? And you would look through the portal and it's a bunch of guys who were ranked in like the two and three hundreds coming out of high school. And you're like, oh, so like Cam Brown, like the guy they already have. It's like Cam right. Brown, seven banks, that standard of running back. Like they don't need to go to the portal to get that guy. They have a lot of those guys. Usually it's when those like difference makers come through, when it's somebody like Jonah Jackson and all your defensive tackles are coming to you and saying, hey, like this guy kicks our butt. Like we should go get this guy. He's really good. Like that, that's the kind of, and obviously Justin Fields speaks for himself or Trey Sermon where he has a little bit of pedigree, but then also it, it's just such a position of, of immediate need. Like those things, I think Ohio state has to keep looking at the transfer portal because everybody does. But I think if you start like adjusting your high school recruiting, especially a program, like you say, it's the, those top teams, they recruit at such a high level that you're supposed it's unrealistic to think you'll never have a hole. They happen sometimes by no fault of anyone's, but you always, Ohio State will always be able to just recruit, assuming there won't be like, they're always going to be able to bring in such a pile of talent every year and be able to, to set up their cycles the way they want that, that they should always assume that that is the second option, not the first. And part of that question of the defensive back was just relying on somebody to enter the transfer portal who never did. And that's Elias Ricks at LSU. And so then it gets, because then, yeah, that's a reasonable question. Hey, as a guy that Ohio state recruited out of high school as a tough, who was a, t- a five-star recruit and was a freshman all American last year, who just saw his program blow up. Is he going to transfer? But when he doesn't enter the, if he doesn't enter the pro the portal, then yeah, you get what Nathan's talking about where it's a bunch of guy, bunch of cam Browns in the transfer portal right now. And so you can't bank on a five-star going of, of like that every single time i do wonder often in recruiting finishing second is just for show hey congratulations not your first loser right you didn't get the guy 
we may be entering a world where finishing second matters. For instance, Ohio State finished second for Marvin Wilson in the class of 2017. He goes to Florida State. Florida State is not as good as Ohio State. And so if before the 2020 season, Ohio State was like, hey, you know, we have Haskell Garrett. We're not sure what he's going to be like. We have Togiai, but we just lost Robert Landers and Jay Sean Cornell and Davon Hamilton. Marvin Wilson, you'd slide right in, man. And Marvin Wilson's like, cool. I almost picked them before. It just happened with Jamison Williams. Bama finished second for Jamison Williams. They got him the second time around. Finishing second all of a sudden, Stephen, might be for more than show. And that might be for guys where it's like Ohio State, Pantone's going to have a list of we're always going to be alert for any good player that might enter the portal that can help us. But here are the 50 guys that are currently playing college football that we really liked, that we got to know, that we believe in their ability and their character. And if they ever wanted to come here, we'd take them. Now, if they, we didn't have to fit and all that kind of stuff. But if anybody on that list of 50, the 50 times we finished second, like that's our scout team, right? That's going to matter more, Steven. It's those top fives and top eights that you see recruits put out there. And those lists always have within it like a secret, like it's a top five, but we know who's closer to five, and who's closer to one, and how many of those teams are on there just for the sake of a graphic and how many of those guys are actually in the race. That now matters, which is why when you ask teams, when you get a kid who puts out his top five and you ask him about it, you go, hey, why is Ohio State in there? How close are they to number one? How's Alabama fit into this? How's Clemson fit into this? Because all of that's going to matter now because – the relationship, just because you commit to another school, you don't just, that, that relationship doesn't just kill itself off. You just don't talk to each other every day all the time. But if you thought Larry Johnson was a great defensive line coach coming out of high school, you just chose to go to Auburn or whatnot. And then later along the lines, you feel like this isn't the place for you. You still have that in the back of your head that Larry Johnson is one of the best defensive line coaches of all time. And so that's where you, where you go next. So I think that leads to the second question, which is what is tampering? And what is unethical? And it's very dangerous because you even referenced, I, I don't know. Was this a thing you said the Ohio state defensive linemen were saying like, Hey, Jonah Jackson is awesome. We should like go get that guy when he was at Rutgers. Is that something that the defensive tackles actually said, or is that theoretical? I, the, no, they, that's what they, they, that's what I think um, Stu Drawa in talking about it. Somebody, maybe it's even Ryan day said that. I think now after the, I think once, it was known that he was in the portal. At least that's oh, how they explained oh, of, it. I mean, of course. I mean, there would never, there would never. I'm just saying how they said it. I'm in, not, I'm in, not. Impl- hey, Jonah, Jonah. He didn't exist until. So, yeah. you, oh, he didn't ex- I just want, I just want, because we're going down this road, I want to make sure that people don't misunderstand <laughs> what I was saying. That this wasn't a thing where the preemptively, the defensive tackles went and said, hey, Rutgers has an offensive lineman we should try to get. My impression was, that Ohio State's coaches asked their defensive tackles about this guy who was in the portal. Right. To, make, and, to be clear. You're not saying that they you're not saying they ever talked about Jonah Jackson before he was in the portal. You're not saying that. Oh, I'm sure he probably came up in meetings and whatever. It might have come up. It's like, like, hey, this guy might not be there. No brother. idea. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm, the, I'm, I'm a reporter. I, I don't know that for a fact. But the idea, and this is the whole point, the idea that Jonah Jackson, when he's sitting there at Rutgers as an all Big Ten player, is like, you know, 
if I did go in the portal, I think Ohio State might be interested, right? So, like, what's the difference between Jonah Jackson being like, I'm good, let me look at Ohio State's offensive line room, looks like there's a hole, I bet you they would be interested in me. What's the difference between that and an Ohio State player DMing Jonah Jackson and saying, hey, man, you're a you're a boss. You're awesome. We want you. The coaches told me. And, and oh, the, uh, we talk about you all the time. If you went in the portal, I know we'd be interested in you. What's the difference between the first one, the second one, and the third one, which is, hey, Jonah, it's Ohio State Buckeye X. The coaches told me to DM you to tell you that if you go in the portal, they will want you. Like, what's the difference between all three of those things? Like, it's it's the difference. It's nothing. It's negligible. There's no difference between those three things, and it's all the difference in the world. It's just like there's no difference between, you know, there's a dead period in, in recruiting where coaches can't, like, contact and talk to players. I mean, it doesn't mean C.J. Hicks can't talk to those same players with the understanding that, like, these are our targets, and so I'm going to talk to this player a little bit more than I'm going to talk to that player. It's the same thing. But I, I read we... this article that the, the texter referenced, and I, I I got a little bored of it pretty fast. I didn't think it was just a, just a journalism shot across the bow. Well, just I just thought it was like I think it's boring article. I thought it was well. Number one, number one, it's all but a bunch of unnamed whatever. Just coaches wanting to say things off the record, not putting their name on it, and so everybody's unnamed. And then secondly, I just, but the bigger thing to me was like, do we really think this wasn't going on? Who thought this wasn't going on? Yeah. Who's well, but the, it was so naive. You mean like who doesn't think there was tampering? But if you had to sit out a year, it was harder to do. Now, if everybody can transfer all the time on their own, didn't someone say it's going to be like free agency, right? That that's the difference. It doesn't mean they weren't tampering and that people weren't. But if you had to sit a year, there was a little bit of a penalty. It was like, man, you really, really had to want to go somewhere or you really had to want to have a reason to escape the place you were in now. Now you can just be like, cool, and you're gone. And so that, I mean, that's, yes, I agree with you, Nathan, but also, I mean, it is a gigantic change, but also but even, it's stating the obvious. Of course, this is happening. Yeah. But even in the last couple, three years with the waiver process that has gotten so much more lax, um, I think we were already a little bit, I think we were already here more than we knew we were here. And then, and also with, with grad transfers, grad transfers had absolutely been free agency basically ever since that happened. I mean, especially, especially in basketball, but, but also in football, like those guys become the biggest recruits in the country every spring and, and everybody hoards towards those guys. So it's like, I think we were already uh, this, this, I didn't think it was that enlightening of an article because I just thought that we were already here more than maybe the writer of that article did. All right. So let me ask this question. Say at the end of this season, there are 22 first team, all big 10 players, 11 on defense, 11 on offense. Let's say, uh, let's say, I mean, uh, mark it down. You don't have to, it's not theoretical. Mark it like, down that's Wednesday. <laughs> I predict 22 <laughs> players will be first team all Big Ten. Let's say, uh, let's say uh, nine of them go pro. So nine of them are going to the NFL and 12 are back next year. Let's 13. say uh, of those, is that is nine plus 12, 20? No, 13. I, I, I already did it wrong. All right. Let's say, uh, let's say 10 go pro, 12 come back next year. Of those 12, let's say uh, six of them play for either Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, or Wisconsin. Kind of the big four in the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. Let's say the other six are from 
the quote lesser schools in the big t- am i doing the math bad again nine so, plus six is 15 seven more would be 10 go <laughs> again doing math on the podcast is one of the favorite wait, things wait, 10 go pro more than 22 because there's like back. a kicker involved no, it's I don't like, care about kickers. Kickers okay. can transfer in the middle of the season. I don't care. So a guy could be kicking for Ohio State one week <laughs> and Michigan the next. Nobody cares. Ten go pro. Twelve are back. Six of the 12 okay. are Buckeyes, Wolverines, Badgers, or Nittany Lions. The other six are from the other schools. If the next year five of those six guys – are playing for Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, or Wisconsin, like everybody who's all Big Ten, who is not currently playing for a team that has an actual chance to win the Big Ten, goes to play for a team that can win the Big Ten, right? You know what I'm saying. Is that okay? Or is that a problem? Sorry, Rashad. Sorry, Minnesota. Congratulations on your 10-2 and year. Rashad Bateman is now Ohio State's best receiver. Sorry, Purdue, George Karloftis, great dude. He's going to be awesome for Michigan next year. So, like, is that okay? Or is that a problem? And if it is a problem, what can you do about it? And, and is it, fa- or is it too far-fetched? No, 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 no. George Karloftis would never leave Purdue to go to, Mi- what do you mean he would never? Why, why not? Oh, no, no. Maryland, he like, whatever. You think, you think Talia Tonga-Vailoa, if he tears up the Big Ten this year at Maryland, is it going to be Penn State's quarterback the next year? Is that fine? Talia Tonga-Vailoa this year for the second straight year beats Penn State. And then the year after, he plays for Penn State because he can do whatever he wants and transfer wherever. And guess what? Penn State doesn't have a quarterback. Mike Loxley's like, dude, it's like, sorry, man. Players got to be able to do whatever they want. Is that a problem? And I while think, he's tearing up Penn State, Penn State's like, dude, you're awesome. Over. And James Franklin, after the game, hey, when they go over and they're dapping, they're saying, hey, to Talia, really respect your game. We'd love to see you in State College next year. Keep us in mind. You'd look great in blue and white. Congratulations on your season. We'll be in touch. Hey, hey, it's just a little whisper on the field, man. Congrats. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not saying that's that I'm not saying James Franklin's a bad guy. Cause if he's not doing it, guess who else is doing it? Everybody else in the, in the country. All right. Is that a problem? I don't know. I, the initial backlash is going to be crazy because it's going to happen. But by who, by the, by the teams that are losing the players by fans, like who's going to be mad. I think fans first and then teams will be upset with this, that it's working out this way. Um, the initial person, but I think it's just like that first person through the door is going to get the, the worst of it. But I think four or five years down the line, we're going to see ourselves in a place where it's like, yeah, but that player wasn't the difference between you winning the Big Ten and going two and ten with a lot of these same teams. Because let, let, let's just use the Jonah Jackson example for a second. He was an all Big Ten guy when he was at Rutgers. But it's like him leaving Rutgers or staying at Rutgers wasn't going to be the difference between them being a great team or not. So I think we just might get there for, it might take a while to get there, but I think we will get to a place where people just stop caring that that's happening. What if Rondale Moore goes to Penn state and Penn state beats Ohio state. I mean, like if we think Jonah Jackson is the biggest example we can find of this, why would Rondale Moore stay at Purdue? Hey, Ohio. What's that? 
why did he go there in the first place? That's not the best example because he was a pretty highly touted recruit in the well, here, first place and went to Purdue. Well, here's why he went there in the first place, because Ohio State was interested in him. And as a true freshman, he tore up the Big Ten. And if he had gone to Ohio State, he would have been their third string slot receiver behind K.J. Hill yeah. and Paris Campbell. And he wouldn't have gotten on the field. So what Rondale Moore is, he went to Purdue. Ohio State wanted him, but he wanted to play right away. So he went to Purdue, lit it up. And now, wherever he goes, he's not sitting behind anybody. So why would he want to go somewhere else? So he can win a national championship. So it can be a first-round pick instead of a second-round pick. He didn't pick Ohio State the first time around. Congratulations, well, Purdue. Congratulations. The reason he was a second-round pick was because of injuries and other things. I don't think it had anything to do with where he played. You don't think it – Okay, so now we're having a debate about whether going. Okay, so hold on, hold on. Basically, what you're saying is there's a two, there's a kid in the two hundreds right now who knows out of high school he's not going to win a job at Ohio State or even come close to it. But if he goes to a lower, a lesser school, plays said school that he know he couldn't have won a job at, and just happens to go crazy because he's the best athlete on that roster by far, now he's going to go win the job at Ohio State. I mean, I, I see, I see what you're trying to say, Doug. I do. Um, and I guess uh, anything that would further imbalance things competitively in a in a in a landscape where things already are competitively imbalanced is probably not good for the league. However, after generations of a a structure that put all of because it used to be that if a player went to a school. And that school, and all of a sudden he had a personality conflict with a coach or whatever, and now he's buried on the depth chart. All of the um, all of the cost of transferring was on that player. He's the one who has to go sit out a year. He's the one who has to go no. somewhere else. And now that I, I so well, now you're, you're, I feel like the reaction to the, letting the player have more freedom and giving and having the advantage in their pocket, I, I don't really have a problem. So with you think it's no problem. You think it's no problem if Rondale Moore kicks Ohio state's butt and the next year plays for Ohio state. No, I think it probably is a problem from a competitive. Okay. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the right of players. That's what we're talking about. It's a problem from a competitive balance standpoint. So what do we do? Just accept it. Is there yeah, nothing so that's what that- I'm saying? You accept it because things have been from a transfer standpoint have been so skewed against the player for years. So you just accept the problem. Competitive balance. So uh, are we just uh, like that? So basically we're accepting the extreme the other way because it's been so extreme the opposite way. And so eventually we got to find a place in middle ground, though, between these two extremes. Here's the problem. Everything in college sports, they compare what college coaches can do compared to what college players can do. The actual yeah. comparison is player to player because in every sport, coaches and players are different. In the NBA, NBA players can't do whatever they want to do. Coaches can. Coaches and players are always different. Mm -hmm. So everyone's problem in college is what everybody knows the problem has been. But players in every sport sign contracts. And your limit, your movement is limited by the contract. There's no sport where everybody can change teams every single year. And the reason that exists is because of competitive balance. So we can't act like competitive balance isn't a factor. It's different than the open market of the world because nobody is worried about competitive balance between insurance companies. You could work for any insurance company you want to want, want to work for. But of, of course, if we don't, if we don't have at least a little question about competitive balance in sports, 
you might go off the deep end. Now, somebody could argue, and Gene Smith actually brought this up, and he said it in an interesting way at the, at the NIL thing on Monday. He was like, hey, people used to not want to do NIL because they were worried about, like, you know, at the big dogs would profit. He was basically said, like, well, nobody worries about that anymore because we all know it's true anyway. So we're not going to stop it. So then let the kids make name, image, and likeness. That there is an imbalance. Rather than, like, worrying about the imbalance, we've accepted the imbalance, and that's it. But if all of a sudden Ohio State's able to form able to have the best team and then also add four all big 10 players every year. That's going to be kind of goofy. And I do think there is a solution somewhere that might be a step short of everybody gets to transfer whenever they want all the time. Now, again, I think it's tied to compensation. I think it's whatever, right? When you're getting paid, then you agree to have your freedom limited. They're not getting paid. So they want their freedom. But I think we may get to a point where they'd rather pay the guys and then limit their freedom some than let everybody pick a new team one time in their career. Because, Nathan, I, I, I don't again, I don't think this is a fantasy world. I think this could happen because like your point, OK, take away the injuries of Rondale Moore. If he's just Rondale Moore with no pandemic and no injuries, why wouldn't he want to transfer? Why would he want to stay at Purdue when he could go to Ohio State or Alabama or Oklahoma? Like, do you think that uh, most of those guys will stay because they love their coach, they love their teammates, they love their school, they just want to stay? Or if you're at the 50th best program in the country and you're a first-team All-American, are you going to transfer to a school that has an actual chance to win a national title? Well, but again, all the individual accolades, again, it's why Rondo Moore specifically is a, is a bit of a bad example because all, all the individual accolades were, were happening for him. It was the injuries that held him back those last two years. He also went to Purdue because of the connection he had with Jeff Braun. They went to this, they were alone. You're not the answering my question. He doesn't want to win a national championship. He's okay staying at Purdue. Everybody wants to win a national championship. Okay, so then he should transfer to a school that has a chance to win one. Why, not everybody can do that. Like, not everybody. Can. Like, I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying the best players at the smallest schools. He can. You don't think Alabama or Oklahoma or Ohio State would have taken him as a transfer? Probably. I mean, so yeah, why, he wanted to go. So why wouldn't he want to go? What's because the that's art? not the only motivation the players have. You think some of them are going to go, though? Or you think yeah. most of them won't go? I think Jonah Jackson already did. I think Trey Sermon already did. Like, you don't like it's not Trey Sermon, but Trey Sermon left because he lost his job. I'm talking about the best players. Justin Fields left because he lost a job. I'm talking about all Americans who are the stars of their middle tier teams regularly leaving to go chase national championships at one of the eight or six teams that actually have a shot to do it. That we have not seen yet. Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson didn't transfer to Alabama. I'll tell you what, if, if Ohio State had gone, if, if Garrett Wilson had picked Michigan, and, and Michigan had the year it had last year, it might have been Garrett Wilson transferring to Alabama instead of Jamison yeah. Williams, right? That's the world I'm talking about. And, and that world, I think, and that's the world that this story is talking about, where the big dogs are tampering with the best players at medium dogs and saying, we got a spot for you. And then kids, it's not that they decide to leave. And then once they're in the portal, the big dogs want them. It's that the big dogs encourage them to leave, even if they hadn't thought about it otherwise. And I could see that being a thing. You think that's not realistic? Oh, I think I think it's realistic that those transfers will happen as they already have. I think I'm skeptical that we don't already live in a world where those conversations aren't happening behind the scenes. 
but we didn't have unlimited transfers for everybody before this. I think. How would you get if Ohio State said to Rondale Moore, you have no issue. You you might get a waiver, but frankly, we can act like everybody gets a waiver. Not every single person got a waiver. You're not a grad transfer. So there's a risk involved. So like, how do how would Ohio State get Rondale Moore to transfer to Ohio State before this? I don't know how they would have done it. I know how they do it now, though. Yeah, I, I guess I see your point. But I, it also goes back to what I was saying before, though, which and I wasn't comparing players to coaches. I was just saying simply that in the past, when a when a mistake is made or in as far as like what player, what school a player chose to go to or if something happened once they got there. No, I know we don't was, have to restate that. We get it. We understand that you couldn't transfer before. We get it. This is a competitive balance issue. It's not a freedom issue for the players because we, if this is going to be a freedom issue for the players, that's going to affect competitive balance. So I'm asking it from a competitive balance standpoint. And if your answer is we understand the rights and the freedom of the player issue, if that supersedes everything and competitive balance be darned. Okay. But I don't think we can live in a world where we can't think that there is going to be a competitive balance issue potentially, and perhaps a big one. There will be. And I think the only solution is to pay the players because then you can, that's the only at this point, because then maybe you get to a point where it's like, okay, this isn't a one-year scholarship where you just have to keep resigning that LOI every summer. No, no, you're here for two years. It's a one-time transfer rule, but you can't use it until two years because we're also paying you. And if we're not going to live in a world like that, if we're not going to pay the players, then yeah, then we have to just deal with this might happen every so often. You can't go wherever you want in Ohio high schools. Right. My daughter transferred schools because for academic reasons, we had a, an hour and a half hearing before the OHSAA so she could play high school tennis at her yeah. new school for an academic transfer. We had an hour and a half hearing to get a waiver because the OHSAA doesn't want this. They don't want good teams rating mediocre teams for the best players. So you can't do it in the pros. You can't do it in high school. And now I don't know that show me a league anywhere. Maybe I'm wrong. Where have we ever had any player can change teams from one year to the next unlimited? Has that ever happened before? AAU. And that's about it. (laughs) And how's the competitive balance in AAU? You can change AAU. You can change AAU teams at the end of the first half. You can just go sit on the other bench. (laughs) It's like I'm done. It's happened. I'm sure it's happened. We're 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 losing, so I'm coming over here. I had 19 in the first half, but we're losing 51-38. So now I'm going to play for the 51 point team. Like Nathan, I just think I'm I'm not trying to be alarmist. I think it is a legitimate issue. And I think we, I think it may have to be dealt with because I just don't know that it makes sense to be like, well, that's it. Sorry. Right. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I have a perfect solution, but I think it might be this tampering thing. I think w- what you said, a lot of it is anonymous mid-tier coaches whining, right? Ah, the good players are going to take our guys. I get it. But like, I think there's also some truth to it. I, maybe I, I just, I'm still in a world where my, sympathies still uh lean to the players and i i do sort of wonder if maybe if the ncaa had been more proactive on this issue over the years that it wouldn't maybe be in a situation where this is being forced to this level on them right now it's going to take rondell Moore to ohio state to happen four or five years in a row for it to be okay either you give us freedom or you give us money 
But, I mean, the toothpaste will be out of the tube then. Like, you're not putting it back. You're not going to – the NCAA is not going to come back around the back end and say, oh, wait a second. Now we've seen – like, now we're going to have to put in some restrictions. Like, that, that's well, no, no, not going to happen. I'm saying if you start paying the players, then you can have a negotiation about these things. That's what I mean when I say either give us the freedom yeah. or you give us the money. Yeah. Because then you have – yeah, you have – guess what you have? You have collective bargaining. Right. You have a union. And you say, hey, we're going to pay you, but there's going to be restrictions on stuff which is everybody having a voice. But if Johnny Manziel, Johnny Manziel got famous and won the Heisman as a redshirt freshman, right? By beating Alabama. What if he had been Alabama's quarterback the next year? Like, would that have been cool? I think it would have been weird and like not cool. All right. But, but let's I also think quickly, Nick Saban I, would have retired a lot earlier because Johnny Manziel would have had, given him a heart attack. But, real know, quickly. I know we've gone way beyond rapid fire on this, but why are the players getting the one time free transfer in lieu of paying them? That's why they're getting it. Yeah. So yeah. That, to me, that's also it's like Johnny Manziel could not have capitalized financially on that Heisman trophy in any other way, except to maybe transfer up to another program where it would set him up even more for the future. So I, I still tend to kind of lean on, on that's what has to happen. That's what that's fairer for the individual, even if it, it does cost something um, across the board competitively. I know what you're saying, and I've said it a million times before, and the NAL does come into this. Like, if the best players – I don't know that anybody thought that transfers should be set up for happy players to just go to a bigger school, right? That it's like – transfers mostly are to solve problems, right? I have an issue, and I shouldn't be stuck here. But the idea of like, hey, great player, you're perfectly content. You just might be slightly more content at a bigger place – I don't know that anybody was like banging the drum for that. You know, they're like, it's unfair to make Rondale Moore stay at Purdue his whole life. It's like, well, he's fine. But if Ohio state's whispering in his ear, he might leave. All right, we'll take a break. We'll get faster on this. I I, I think it's interesting. And, and again, as opposed to like all the NIL stuff, I'd say that I, I don't think it's interesting. I think this, cause I think this has an effect potentially on teams and fans and how people view the game in a much bigger way. Although there is an NIL piece of this, right. That Nathan is like, well, not only is like, well, why would you leave? Well, cause I have a better chance to win a national championship and I might make more money off the field if I'm at a bigger program, which where it does tie in. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll get back to question two, 40 minutes into rapid fire on Buckeye's. I love, po- I love this podcast. All right, Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. Question two from the 513. What start time at the shoe gives Ohio State the best home field advantage? Noon, afternoon, prime time. I know TV has a lot of control over start times, and by a lot, I think they mean all of it. But if Ryan Day and Gene Smith had their choice, when would they schedule their biggest home game? So there certainly is uh, a recruiting aspect to this. There's a fan experience aspect to it. There's a when's your team going to play its best aspect to it right i think the answer is they actually would like a variety right that it's like they want to have some at night they want to have some at noon they want to have some at 3 30 but steven is there a particular one that really is most advantageous and i think the the one the, the way that the questioner is asking it it really means for the big games and the example we have is that yeah. fox has announced ohio state oregon is going to be at noon when should that when would ohio state if if ryan day and g smith were picking what what time would the Ohio State Oregon game start? I think from a co- simply from a coaching player's perspective, noon because then you're not waiting around all day for a game. And uh, most most players have always said that I'd rather play at noon unless you're a high schooler who loves Friday night lights situations. They want to play at noon. I think 
from an what's the most advantageous for a big game like that? It being at night and it being like the focal point of the day. You get college game day is here. Kirk Curb Streaks and uh, Chris Howler, Chris Fowler on the call. It's everybody's big game of the day. It's leading up to it. It's a big recruiting weekend because it's not just because somebody asked a similar question on what what time um, is best for recruits. When you're talking big games like this, you want as many recruits there as possible, which means you want kids from California and Texas and Nevada and Ohio and Florida all there. Well, if the game's at noon and these kids are playing at Friday night, the night before, the chances of getting a kid from California here are pretty slim. While CJ Hicks and Jack Sawyers of the world are going to always be here because they live 45 minutes from the campus. I mean, it's hard to get a kid from North Carolina or Georgia here for a noon start. Yeah. Right. Which is why, like, from a, from a, if you want to add in all the extra stuff other than just playing football, it's best to have 330 or set or a primetime game because you get the most bang for your buck in that situation. Nathan, when do you think they'd want it? Yeah. I said the same thing, like, afternoon or evening is, seems like it would be best for recruiting and potentially also for exposure. I think it says something, especially when you can get a couple of evening games per year. Because as long as they're not these, um, you know, Friday night Big Ten things, if you're getting a Saturday night evening game, that's usually a, a, a big kind of showcase event. If you can just, I, like I said, I don't think you want those every week, but if you can sprinkle a couple of those in, I think that that is a, a boost for your program. I think the Oregon game might be the exception, though. I think if you're playing a team from the West Coast, I think there might be a competitive advantage to having that game at noon. I think that's a good point. Also, yeah. Stephen, I don't, you know, hope you're not throwing shade at Gus and Joel by acting like Fowler and no, Herb no. Street are the are the big like marquee duo. They no, got that I love Gus. game. They're doing uh, that. First of all, yeah, I love Gus. Like I've said it time and time again, if I could have anybody just like call my life, it'd be Gus Johnson. And they've had some great moments as well. It's just like there's something about a vibe when it's a night game and they throw those black jerseys on and everything else that comes with it. And Joel Klatt, I don't, I don't know Joel well. I don't really have an opinion on him, so I'm not sure mm-hmm. what to think about that. Um, yeah. I do th- per per the, <laughs> per the terms of the restraining order. I have no opinion <laughs> on <Yeah>. Joel Klatt. <laughs> I don't I even d- know who that is. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll be further reference in the future as uh, human former G- Colorado State court quarterback. Human, Person number two. <laughs> um, so I like that. Like, we, I think like we've lost a little bit of that 3.30 game. I like that that late afternoon spot that always felt kind of marquee to me. It gives the recruits a little more time to get here. It doesn't have to be at night. I do think sometimes Ohio State for a noon start, I think Ohio State's sometimes flat, but not if it's a big game. I think sometimes if you want to catch Ohio State, it's like have Rutgers come in at noon and see if Ohio Ohio State's not up for it. I think that does happen sometimes. Um, I think you can over primetime stuff, right? I think there was a time when Ohio State got a little primetime heavy. But Fox, which has taken a lot of Ohio State games now, really likes the noon slot. They're claiming that big noon Sunday kickoff. So now I think they're getting a little noon heavy. So I do think Urban was so big on the nighttime stuff. Urban really drove Ohio State to prime time for recruiting to A, get guys there and B, put on a show for those recruits. 
I don't know that Ryan Day and Gene Smith would push it quite that much, but they've got it. They also have gotten in a spot the last couple of years where they do a lot of prime time on the road and they don't do as much prime time at home. They've got to get their prime time showcases at home. I think if you said to Gene Smith and Ryan Day, Nathan, notwithstanding the point you made about making Oregon play when it's 9 a.m. on their body clocks, which is a thing, I think maybe they'd say, give us prime time for Oregon. We haven't had a normal season for a long time. This is going to be a top 10 national matchup. Let's get all of our dudes here. Recruiting's been weird. We think we're going to win. Let's put on a show. Let's re-announce Ohio State. Let's be. Let's do fireworks and be cool. I think maybe they would have picked 8 o'clock, but just Fox wasn't going to go there. That's not what Fox wants to do. Uh, I, 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 I could see that, too, that I think you're right, that, that once in a while. I'm trying to think of since these two years that I've been on beat, and I know last year was messed up, but how many home night games have they had? Rutgers last year was a home night game. Yeah. And, I'm trying uh, to remember if there was one year before. Was Michigan State the year? Michigan before? State was the home night game because they wore the black jerseys, right? Um, so which so are like, getting, I mean, but those are those are BTN home games. Those right. are not like national broadcast. Michigan State was ESPN, home games, was ABC. Michigan State was, was ABC. Okay. It okay. was, but it was it's Michigan State. It's not like you got Penn State at home. Uh, to your point, it's well, not like the marquee matchup. Yeah, and there was a time when having that Michigan State Ohio State game would have been a big deal. That just wasn't. Right the case in 2019 here's my other question if we were in charge of making the kickoff times how early do you think we could push them before there'd be a real backlash could we get them earlier than 11 a.m because they'd be 11 a.m across the board for me 11 a.m national championship to maybe 10 945 that big 10 yeah yeah, that big 10 championship game amazing it was amazing it was awesome i went to bed at a reasonable time not two o'clock five hours of sleep Right, especially since you got to drive back in the morning for CFP coverage and stuff. It was beautiful. So I'd say 10. But to your point, Doug, yeah, Urban Meyer took that primetime thing and ran with it all the way down to the recruiting events in the summer with, you know, Friday night lights and having these kids in here under the lights in the nighttime and stuff like that. Um, But I don't know. I think they'd be fine with the Oregon game being at noon just because you just had a night game the week before on a Thursday. But this is the thing. This is the thing. Okay, so their big rivalry game is always at noon. Right. So Ohio State, Michigan is not going to be at night when they play at Penn State. It's always at night. It's a whiteout at night when Ohio State goes to Penn State. It's not always a night game when Penn State comes to Ohio State. Okay, so so now Oregon, which is their big national game, is not going to be at night, but their Thursday night on the road is going to be at night. They often a lot of their primetime games wind up now, as Nathan said, it's like a BTM primetime game where it's half a good game. The Ohio State half of it is good. And then the other team isn't that good. So it's not that exciting. But like, I'm, you know, USC here was at night. Texas here was at night, right? There have been Penn State games at night. They've got to get back to a couple like their best games at night. They don't have that many good games. I, I would imagine it's quite possible that Ohio State at Indiana is going to be at night. Because Indiana is going to be like, man, this is the best chance we ever had. Because Ohio State's always everybody else's best chance to get in prime time. But then a lot of times when Ohio State has their big game, big games at home, the networks want them during the day now. So like uh, they, they, they're kind of, they need another big time night game. So I don't know. So Penn State is here this year, right? Market, yeah, market down Wednesday. The Purdue game is going to be at night. That Penn State game should be at night, but I don't know that it will be. But like that Penn State, that Penn State game should be at night for Ohio State. Three, the fa- maybe like a three thirty game though. It might be a three thirty yeah. just for the sake of yeah. By the time you get to the third quarter, the lights are on and everything. 
this but, might be worth tossing in just for this conversation, but in 2032, when Ohio State goes back to Oregon, I wonder if that game kicks off at like eight o'clock Oregon time, that's actually like an 11 o'clock kickoff <laughs> for Ohio oh, State. Right. So that's That'd something to keep in mind that eventually a decade from now, Oregon might get a little bit of comeuppance on that kickoff time. Yeah, the Buckeyes will be falling asleep on the bench in the third quarter because it's after midnight. The Buckeyes uh, will be will be falling asleep. Oh no, I'll be watching. You'll be watching from Disney World. No, I'll sure. have to out the DVR it and watch it when I wake up in the morning at five thirty, and go for my walk around Epcot, and because uh, I'll I'll be in bed by seven o'clock in ten years. All right, let's get down to what everyone's been waiting for: soft serve versus normal scoops. Discuss. That's some of the 312 and a little more specific. There's two things where we got two questions. There's there were three things where we got two questions that were basically the same. Transfer portal recruiting, eating ice cream, and eating cicadas. That's where our audience's minds are right now. So the more specific question, throw yo soft serve or hand-dipped hard ice cream, and who is the go-to place? So, Nathan, we'll start with you. I would say that depends on my mood, but do you have a specific answer? And let's throw Froyo in there. Froyo, soft serve ice cream, hard ice cream. Soft serve and Froyo have their place. But especially when you're just even comparing soft serve and hand-dipped, it's, it's almost like two different foods. And to me, hand-dipped is where I – it's by far my preference. I feel like it it's all ice cream, obviously, but it feels like a real food more than soft serve, which is this processed whatever. I like it. I love going to McDonald's and getting cones. I, I enjoy soft serve. You know, when we used to go to buffets as a kid and at the end you'd get that the bowl out with the giant tower of the uh, swirl ice cream and put your sprinkles on top. I'm not saying soft serve doesn't have its place, but like hand dipped is what I look forward to now so much. Like you can go and we go to graders a lot. Cause there's one nearby here. We, we used to go in Indianapolis. There was one close to where we live. And now we have one just a, a couple minutes away here. So I like to go there and you can get two different kinds of things with the double scoop and you're getting like two completely different ice cream experiences. Um, so I'm a hand dipped guy. Buckeye tall. <laughs> I would like to know what that phrase means in people's heads right now. Yeah. Imagine I'm a hand dip guy. Mm. All right, Stephen, where are you going? All right. Oh, that's just wow. Soft serve if it's, if it's a cone, hand dipped in a cup, because I think it's just really annoying to try to. If people can't see me, but I'm licking an ice cream cone, uh, but pretending to do one, it's kind of hard to do that with a hand dip because it's so hard. <laughs> and you'll lick um, it you'll lick it right off the cone that's always right like- yeah it'll fall off while with soft serve it's just kind of in there it sits in there and you can just lick it and you know go on about your day and i like i like when the soft serve like gets down in the cone right, right. and then it's like you're getting to eat that okay so i do think the mixing world which is you know when i was a kid you weren't mixing in stuff as much the mixing world has changed soft serve right so I like a soft serve cone, but also like whether it's a blizzard, I like to go to Wits, which is like an Ohio place where it's like it's a softer ice cream and then you can mix in Reese's peanut butter cup or Butterfinger or whatever. And that raises the level. If I'm going to go, the other thing too is um, hand dipped. If I want hand dipped, it's got to be special. I am not that interested in like chocolate chip hand dipped. I am not that interested in like 
cookies and cream hand dip. Like I want the thing that's like, if it's hand dipped, I want it to have fudge and caramel and a nut and a thing, right? That it's chocolate, mousse, crunch, vanilla, caramel tracks as a hand dip, Nathan. Like I don't want, I don't want butter pecan, but most places, especially if you're going out for ice cream, like that's most places have that. Like when you go to graders, it's like they have a special seasonal flavor and it's like, oh, the cinnamon butter crunch hand dipped. I'm all in for that. But, but ice cream has evolved. I think ice cream has evolved as much as like the internet has evolved. It's like, can you like what we used to get? It's like, everything is fan Jenny's ice cream. Right. I went straight from my house. Yeah. I want a Jenny's ice cream that has like a pretzel and a blueberry and salt and a homemade waffle in it. But if it's a hand dipped normal thing, I I would much prefer soft serve. But if you're going to graders, Nathan, are you getting something kind of cool? Are you kind of getting like chocolate chip? Um, no, I'm usually like a um, I I love uh, s'mores ice cream and they make a good s'mores. Um, Also, the s'mores blizzard at Dairy Queen is very good. Um, so it's usually something like that and maybe like a, a cookie dough or, or something along those lines, but yeah, it's never just like strawberry. Right. But I will say like, we make a lot of ice cream at home too. And that's kind of opened my eyes a little bit. Cause that's, um, usually the first day it's a little bit softer. It's almost like, so- not quite like soft serve. And then it, it hardens over time. So, but we've gotten like, we can make whatever we want. We just decide, you know, um, like my wife doesn't, uh, she can't eat. Uh, nuts, peanut butter and stuff, but she has this like sun, but sunflower butter. And we use those to like make our own peanut butter cups and then make peanut butter cup ice cream with it. Like, so we've, we've been able to like get really creative with what we want to do at home. And that's, it's opened my eyes a little bit too, to just like that kind of ice cream experience as opposed to, but we also love to be just like, especially like when we're doing like work on the house, that's like one of our little rewards. Like, Hey, let's, we have to go by Lowe's. Let's get a cone at, McDo- at, at McDonald's. So we, we, we dabble in both. I, I will say the thing about I like the Froyo thing because most Froyo places now are like serve yourself, mm-hmm. right? Which I like, but but too many people do it wrong. And I've been there. It's like, oh, if we take a, a friend of my kid or whatever. The thing I like, like, like about Froyo is you can get just a little bit. And so it's like a dollar sixty nine worth, because a lot of time if you're going to go somewhere else, it's like that's going to cost like four bucks. But it's like if you just want a little taste and you want to control that, I like the hand. I like the serve yourself froyo but then i've gone with kids who like fill up a cup and then it's like oh now your ice cream costs nine dollars and eleven cents right and it's like what are you doing you cannot get nine dollars and eleven cents worth of ice cream so if you're i like controlling froyo but too often people are out of control but you can also i i like that we we there was one called a uh, pink walrus when i lived in uh lafayette Indiana and you could get like I like that because you can get like four different flavors you can get a taste of like several different things and and kind of spread them around inside there so they're not on top of each other or you can mix them up if you want to like that that is my favorite part of the the server on Froyo and every Froyo place is named a color and then like something organic a plant an animal right it's like if someone said like oh where are you going to get Froyo and you were like Oh, uh, I'm going to the teal squid. And it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a Froyo place. Oh, where are you going? Oh, I'm, I'm going to the purple oak tree. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure that shows. We go to orange leaf, right? And it used to be pink berry was the thing that everybody. So, yeah. I mean, the purple walrus. Red mango, I think, mango, I think uh, was one I've seen. 
There's definitely a lot of people who work in there who wear glasses that they don't need to wear, but they just wear them for the sense of fashion. They've got flannel shirts on with a, some vanity bands. specs. Yeah, vanity. They're specs. called hipsters, they, Stephen. Yeah, hipsters with flannels and tight jeans and, and a pair of Vans on. If you work at a Froyo place, please direct your complaints to Stephen Means. All right, let's get back to football. This is a really good one. This one we could do a whole separate podcast on. Maybe I should save it, but I'm not. From the 4-4-0, could we see a situation where Ohio State makes the playoff and is still starting Quinn Ewers next year? Kind of like the Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence situation in 2018. Now, the thing we have to keep in mind is Kelly Bryant was a recruit in the 400s. He was not a five-star like Kyle McCord or a borderline five-star like C.J. Stroud. I do think that matters. Performance matters, but I also think the recruiting ranking matters for the sort of the perception and how the quarterback might view it and whatever. When Trevor Lawrence came in as the number one recruit in the country, I don't know that anybody could have been shocked like Kelly Bryant, watch your back, man. It's just a little different. Quinn Ewers is coming in as the number one recruit in the country. But man, if CJ Stroud or Kyle McCord leads Ohio State to the playoffs, like they came in as a big time dude too. Nathan, I don't think it's impossible. I think the texture makes a good, it has happened. It's, a, it's the best comparison but it's also different for Ohio State. So what do you think of the possibility of that? And again, we're living in a world where the quarterback was at least some level of successful because we're talking about Ohio State made the playoff. Doesn't mean the, the, the quarterback was a Heisman candidate, but the quarterback played well enough for the rest of the team to be a playoff team. I, I 100% expect that regardless of what happens this fall, that Quinn Ewers has a chance to compete for the starting job next spring and preseason. I, I don't think, I don't know how you could... Uh, attempt to bring him here without promising him that. So I, I know promising and reality are different, but I, I, I definitely expect it to happen. Um, now, I think what's a tough call is, again, what you were saying before, when you're talking about if it's going to be a, a five-star, high four-star, you know, top 50 recruit that potentially wins this job this fall, and they go out and perform at a level that takes the team to the playoff, what does a true freshman show you in just a spring and a preseason that proves he has to have the job from day one because Clemson did not do that. We always talk about the, the Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence, but Trevor Lawrence didn't take over that job until four games into that season. So that's the other factor here too, is if they're asking if, if Ohio state makes the playoff this year and Quinn Ewers starts on day one, the following year, I'm skeptical of that, but could something happen where he just behind the scenes proves he's, so good that they have to make that move at some point during the season. I, that's more realistic. Steven, what do you think? I mean, I've been floating this idea around with Texas for a couple of weeks now. And every time I've done it, they've got mad at me and just go, why do you keep assuming that Quinn Ewers is going to come in here and steal the job? See, he's going to sit for a year behind CJ and then take over in 2023. And I get it, but. Quinn Ewers is a different ball game, and the, the, I'm gonna Jalen Hurts and, and Tua is weird because it's just in the national championship game. But for the idea of you can lead your team to the playoff, not win it, and then the next year the guy who was a true freshman comes in and at some point in the year ends up being the quarterback that be, wins you a national title. Yeah, that can happen, and I think Nathan is right. That's how it's gonna play out unless Quinn Ewers just comes in here. 
in January and just starts killing from the immediate get go. And it's just like a no brainer is we might see the first couple of weeks. It's a back and forth. It's a battle. It's a battle. And then at some point, Ryan Day has a conversation with somebody and then either someone's going in the transfer portal or Quinn will just sit and take over the job in 2023. But I do think that's on the table right now, because when you're dealing with a kid who has a perfect rating and is being compared to another kid, a guy who we are for all intents and purposes, we're calling a prodigy prodigy in Trevor Lawrence that has to be on the table, even if you're at a school where you're competing with other top 100 kids. So the, the easiest thing would be for the winner of the quarterback job this year. Let's just say CJ Stroud is the starter in 2021 is the starter in 2022. Quinn Ewers sits behind him. And then that starter leaves that starterback goes starter goes to the NFL. And then it's very easy for Quinn Ewers to take over and be a two year starter in 23 and 24. The thing is, these guys are so young. That's not guaranteed. Right. The winner of the quarterback competition this year could be here for three years. So then I think it's complicated because it's like, okay, well, let's say the quarterback in 2021 is so good that like you really don't it's not that you don't give Quinn Ewers a shot, but it's like, man, we have our starting quarterback returning like it's not your thing. Well, then what if that quarterback is back again in 23? Like, what's the difference between telling Quinn Ewers he doesn't really have a chance to compete in 2022 and then telling him the same thing in 2023 if the quarterback doesn't go pro early? Now, maybe you could say, well, you, it's because he's not a freshman. Ewers is totally ready to go in year two. And then you tell that two-year starter who didn't go to the NFL, you're not going to be the quarterback transfer somewhere and go be the quarterback for Northwestern as a senior, right? Kind of like Michael Penix, Peyton Ramsey. Peyton Ramsey was the quarterback for a couple of years. And then they were just like, you're back, but it's not you. It's Michael Penix. Quinn Ewers would be Michael Penix and CJ Stroud would be Peyton Ramsey. I guess that's possible too. But to me, if, if you had a clear dividing line, there might be a clear dividing line, but it also might not be a dividing line. So then, Nathan, I can just see it's like you just open it up all the time because it's not a perfect, obvious torch passing. It, it maybe could be a perfect, obvious torch passing, but you don't know what it's going to look like in 23 as you're deciding this in 2022, which means I just think you throw the doors open in 2022 and anything could happen. It could be the returning guy. It could be yours. It could be the returning guy early and yours takes over like Lawrence did. And even if you make the playoff, Nathan, I just think sort of what you said at the start, I think anything's possible. And Steven, you said the same thing. I just think, I just think the idea of like, no, 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 no. If Ohio state's really good in 21 and the quarterback plays well, it's a sure thing that that guy's the quarterback in 2022. I just don't think I believe that. Yeah. And I think that, that that's what, at least from what we've heard, and what Ryan Day has said, what the what the players themselves have said, I mean, that's what this has been sold as, right? Like, I think people's eyes are open on this, that, that Ryan Day has sold this as kind of like a quarterback experience, a quarterback room unlike any other right now. And it's uh, <laughs> you, you're going to have to compete for your job in a way every year in a way that other people don't. Now, at some point, that'll get that, that cycle gets broken, right? because of attrition, because of his guys will leave. And it, it might, it's just a, maybe a matter of whether that happens sooner or later. But because I, I, again, as we've talked about, I I'm skeptical that this, like going out and getting the top ranked guy every single year is going to happen in perpetuity, especially once Quinn Ewers gets here. 
but I think in the short term that this is what it's going to have to be. And there's, I know on one hand, I understand why fans are interested in what happens as far as the transfers, the people leaving. I, I don't really, I guess, see it from a point of concern though, as long as it doesn't hurt your recruiting down the line. And as as long as the, you know, you don't run into an injury situation and are left flat footed, which could have happened in 2019, actually with, with Justin Fields, then I don't really see the concern because at the end of the day, you're going to be left with whoever emerges from this really talent loaded room in this competition that happens every year. I don't think the cycle gets broken. I think their cycle is just different, right? Like with Oklahoma, Caleb Williams is going to be Oklahoma starting quarterback in 2022. That's the assumption is that Spencer Rattler starts two years and he's out and Caleb Williams starts and then whoever their 2023 quarterback will be next. And that's their cycle. You start, you sit one, start two and you're out. That's Clemson's cycle clearly. And we'll see what Alabama cycle ends up being in a minute here. Ohio state cycle might just, we might already be in it where it's, you get a room full of crazy talent and then at some point, someone's going to win the job and there's going to be a lot of attrition. And then like 2019 is going to be a situation where your starter is awesome. And then everybody behind them is just like, oh, my God, I hope our starter doesn't get hurt. And then the cycle restarts itself because you've just replenished the room again. And I think you don't have to do it necessarily by going to get two quarterbacks in one recruiting class. It's just you go get a top guy every year, but also the transfer portal does exist. All right. Can you write this down, Stephen? I would be curious for your investigation into the sit one, start two cycle. Mm -hmm. How often does that happen with the top ranked quarterbacks at the best schools? Because there is a world. And the interesting thing about that idea is like, that's what we owe you for lack of better phrasing. Mm -hmm. And then if you're not ready to go to the NFL after your third year, your spot might be gone. So you might have to transfer. So like you're, we're not really counting on four years of you being here. It's your choice what you do in year four, but with the portal, like we're not going to feel bad about it. So the, that fits CJ Stroud or Jack Miller and Quinn Ewers fit that. So if CJ Stroud sat last year, start in 21, start in 22, Quinn Ewers sits in 22, starts in 23, starts in 24, and you can line up somebody behind that. And I do think that it's not unfair that it's like there used to be a time when it was like, hey, you might redshirt, but by your fifth year, like we kind of maybe don't want you that mm-hmm. we're, ne- we're going to guarantee you four years. But the fifth year is not exactly a guarantee with quarterbacks. It could be that like we'll guarantee you three, but the fourth year is no guarantee. The problem is McCord, that they shoved yeah. McCord in the middle of this. And then how does McCord fit into that? Right. That if CJ wins this job, you can see how it gets pretty smooth. But that smoothness like involves Kyle McCord probably transferring sooner than later. So and, there is a way it could work, though. And adding McCord into this is why there's a, you can even ask the question, what's Ohio State's chances of getting Arch Manning in 2023? Those two things, that question shouldn't exist because their timeline should be 2020 is when you go get a guy. 2022, 2024, 2026. For Oklahoma, it's 2019, 2021, 2023. Clemson... It, it, is kind of on the same thing as Ohio, where Ohio State should be on 2020. Every two, it, it goes back to the original discussion we had six months ago of should every other year you go get a five star and you go get somebody else in between. And it seems like it, it, that, that's now an interesting thing. How many people are actually on that program of you go get a guy every other year so you are in this sit one, start do situation that Ohio State has clearly not tried to be a part of. But that was my point is that this, this isn't a cycle that Ohio State's in right now. This was a reaction to 
failings in quarterback recruiting. They had to fill up this room again. This just the only way through this process now is to just make it ultra competitive yearly until they get back into what you're talking about, which is a more conventional cycle. But But what if if you think about it, big picture, though, Fields was sit one at Georgia, play two at Ohio State. So if you view it that way, it's like Fields to Stroud slash Miller to Ewers is that cycle that fits, right? Sit one, start two, and everybody is sort of smoothly rolling along. It's just that the field sit wasn't here. And and Nathan, you're right. They, They were in scramble mode initially, but it could start smoothing out here. We might be in the beginnings of it smoothing out. It's just the fact that there's a competition right now makes it a little more complicated, as we've talked about a million times, than what it is at Clemson or Alabama, who are otherwise in the same spot. It's the fact that it's a competition and also you went and got a guy in between who doesn't fit that cycle. If Kyle McCord didn't fit, then you're right. Fields is your, for all intents and purposes, sit one and then because he's 2018. So it's every other year still, even if he didn't start here. But because you did that and you opened the door, the door to, hey, should we go get Arch Manning in 2023? Hey, should we go get Bob Smith in 2025? It's it's. Maybe it's not purposeful that their cycle ended, but maybe that's a, this the cycle they've fallen into now is we're going to go accumulate talent every single year and deal with the fact that there might be a time that comes up when our starting quarter, where Quinn Ewers is in year two of being a starter, and what would that be, 2023? He's a sophomore starter, and like his backups are just – you just don't want them to ever see the field because of it. I, I think Ryan Day wants to be in a cycle. I think the reason they had to get McCord is because Jack Miller was the guy they identified. Jack Miller got hurt. They got McCord before they got Stroud. So when they were sitting there with only Miller, they were like, no fault of Jack Miller's, but he got hurt and they didn't know what they had. And they were like, we can't only have this. And then as they went and scrambled, it it turned out they got two extra guys. They were like, we got to get another guy. So they got McCord in the class below. And then they also added Stroud in the same class. And now they actually, honestly, for real, I mean, not they have too many quarterbacks. Like I could see that. Like, I, I really don't think that this is exactly what Ryan Day wants to do. No. I think it's a one off based off the Miller injury. But if you take that out and if you knew they were getting Stroud, they wouldn't have had to get McCord. And I do think we might be cycling here. And I'm intrigued by now. If our Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State are on the same cycle and Oklahoma's on an opposite cycle, who's on what cycle, right? So that like Caleb Williams, when Caleb Williams picked Oklahoma in the class of 2022. 21. 2021. Which meant Quinn was not going to pick Oklahoma in 2022 because it would have made no sense. Because they're not on the same cycle, but Caleb Williams, yes, Ohio State could McCord, but Caleb Williams was not going to go to Bama and was not going to go to Clemson when those guys, right? Does that make sense? Because yeah, he'd so, be sitting behind Young and DJ for two years because they're on the off cycle because Young and DJ are sophomores. They're going to start in 21 and 22, but Caleb wants to sit in 21, but wants to start by 22. So once Ohio State had McCord, and Bama and Clemson are on opposite cycles. It's like Caleb Williams' only choice was Oklahoma, practically. And so cycles, now it's, QB cycles. Right. We just invented it, Stephen. You just invented QB cycles. I did, yeah. It's, it's just, it's, but, it continues. Malachi Nelson already has every crystal ball you can imagine for Oklahoma in 2023 as their five star. Listen, in, listen. I'm, I'm sending this out right now. 
Ari, if you are listening to this, if I see a quarterback cycle <laughs> recruiting story on the athletic in the next two months, I am coming to Texas and I am going to strangle you with my own hands. Well, I think there's no reason we couldn't do our own before the next two months. No, I know. We got to start. Start this like, story as we get up. But, and, uh, but, and that was Buckeye talk. <laughs> but I, I think we've also seen, too, that maybe maybe Ryan Day is the one that just doesn't care about cycles because, again, it's it's not Kyle McCord that really kind of throws all this off. It's getting C.J. Stroud when they already had Miller and McCord set up, getting C.J. Stroud on top of that because he, he thought he was too good to pass up and because of the things that Miller had run into. And then it's adding Quinn Ewers on top of like they didn't need they didn't need to go get Quinn Ewers to have a good young starting quarterback in 2022 and 2023. That was already going to happen based on the guys that they were already bringing into the room. But Ewers was so good that Ryan Day was like, well, no, we've got to go we're going to take him too. So it made there, there is a part of me that's wondering if like he's seeing these, this cycle thing that's happening other places. And I don't think what's happening right now is ideal, but he may also be the guy who's just saying, uh, I don't care who we have. Uh, if the next guy who's great wants to come here, we're going to take him regardless of what year it is and how this matches up. But or, also the quarterbacks have to agree to it too. And like Kyle mm, McCord, right. when Kyle McCord committed, he saw Jack Miller who was hurt, and he didn't know that C.J. Stroud was coming. So it's like if Kyle McCord had known C.J. Stroud, now C.J. Stroud came knowing Kyle McCord was here because C.J. Stroud thought, well, the other guy in my class is coming off an injury, and I'll just cl- I'm will just i going to be a year ahead of McCord, and I'll get in ahead of him and claim the job. So I do think you're, you're right, Nathan, but I do think the Miller injury has to be factored in that it did affect how this came together, and I don't know what we're going to be able to tell – how they recruit quarterbacks in 2023 mm-hmm. will tell us because as long as Ewers stays healthy and everything else is normal, if they drop another five star on top of Quinn Ewers, you're, then they don't care. If they back off and wind up with, you know, a more middle of the road guy in 2023, then I think we're definitely in cycle territory. It's that. But I also think whoever this back to the point of this year doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It matters for this season who can win you a national title in 2021 and it's restarts itself in 2022. I think whoever wins the battle in 2022, whether it's CJ Stroud, Kyle McCord, Quinn Ewers, and maybe Jack Miller is fully healthy by then. And he just surprises everybody. I think that person might decide to cycle because if Kyle McCord wins that wins, then yeah, you go get your sit one, start two guy in 2023 because now you've got Kyle McCord starting for two years. But if C.J. Stroud wins it or Jack Miller wins it or even Quinn Ewers, either way, whether the uh, the guy who graduated in the odd number year or the even got number year is going to decide when you go get your five-star, whether it's 2023 or 2024. So it's a combination the, of both, I think. But the 2023 quarterback recruiting will be – decided before the fall of 2022 i don't think that i i in in the normal situation i think you'd be correct but because we're also coming off a pandemic where there's a lot of players who just have not been evaluated and some of these rankings are just off there's going to be a cj stroud that pops up next summer who doesn't necessarily start rising until we get to the summertime and then he might just take over at the open at one of these national showcases and then he's a five-star I think that's on the table, just given what we're coming off of. So they got, they're getting, it's working out perfectly for Ryan Day to be able to do this, as weird as it sounds. I got to tell you, that's a pretty good discussion for question four in a rapid fire podcast. 
That's what we do on Buckeye Talk. That's what we've t- we've had two whole separate podcasts between the transfer portal thing and that discussion. I'm like almost tempted, like you just cut out everything we just said and make it a separate podcast. But that's not how we roll at Buckeye Talk. All right, that was really interesting. Let's talk about eating cicadas. Yes. How much money would someone have to pay for you to eat a cicada from the six one four? If it came down to it, would you eat a cicada or any other bug if there was no other food source around from the 513? So I do believe in the idea of doing terrible things in life so you have a story to tell. And if you ate a cicada 17 years from now when they're back, every time cicadas came up, you'd be like, yeah, I ate one of those one time. I think there is value in doing that. And I assume we're talking about eating the actual cicada, not just the empty cicada shell. And Stephen, it would matter. Can I dip it in peanut butter? Can I dip it in caramel? Can I dip it in chocolate? Is, is you know, it alive? Can I cook it? You guys read How to Eat Fried Worms when you were a kid? That book came out like mm-hmm. in the 70s. But it's like so no. the, the kid's eating the worm. The kid's eating the worm every day. But he's like cooking it up. He's like surveying the worm. He's like putting it in some breadcrumbs with like a little sauce. Listen, man, if you deep fry something, I'm not sure it matters what it is. So if I can bread the cicada, dip it in marinara, and it's not alive, I don't think when you it's, when we say that you eat a bug, Nathan, we have to assume that it's alive. So I think I might do it, and I'm not so sure that we all shouldn't eat a cicada live, a cooked cicada live on Buckeye Talk. Steven, are you up for that? Um, I'll film. Are they vegan? Um, I was going to say, it's going to break. It's like Steven hasn't eaten meat in a year, and he's yeah. like, I ate a bug as my meat. I'll film. I, I think I won't eat a cow, but I'll eat an insect. I think um, my price will depend will depend on how much I can cover up the cicada with other foods. Like if I can make a cicada cookie where it's like deep inside of a peanut butter cookie, then yeah, because I'll barely barely taste it. But technically, I ate the bug, so yeah. I do it for like two hundred and fifty dollars. If you just put a cicada on a plate, dead or alive, and said you have to finish this, it's got to be a million dollars because that crunch. That crunch is when I'm going to lose my mind. Well, I'm worried about the wiggle. Um, I almost would rather have the crunch mm. than like the soft innards when it crawls out of the shell. And it's like this wiggly, even if it's dead, but it's like chewy. Like I, crunch, I like crunchy things. Or the leg, that final little twitch it gives right before it finally gives out and understand it's dead. That up against your tongue, a uh, million dollars. Or... Yeah. Or be that like you would starve if you don't eat it. Like you're stranded on a desert island and it's like either oh, eat cicadas the, or die. Yeah. So, I mean, like everybody would yeah. do that. The second question is easy. Like if that's like the only food source and it's yeah, like a, it. the choice between surviving and not, then yeah, I'll eat a cicada. I'll eat whatever as long as it like doesn't poison me and I can stay alive. Like that's that's an easy question. Um, and I really think it, you wouldn't have to pay me much to eat one. I think I can take like any, I can take a hundred bucks and turn it into a pretty great long-term investment. I think I've, I feel pretty confident about myself. So I'm looking at it as like, I eat this bug, you give me a hundred dollars. And then like uh, down the line, that's like $1,500 that I'll be able to use someday. And you have turn a bug a, story. A bug turn story. it into dog yeah. coin. Are you going to gamble it or are you going to invest it? When you say I can invest it, that means I'm going to take it to a poker table, right? <laughs> <laughs> investing in myself. Oh, no. Turn um, it into cryptocurrency and help Elon Musk out. Yeah, we, we can turn it into a Dogecoin so it can be worth yeah, 1500 tomorrow and zero the day after that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think uh, I could I could do either. Um, I, I kind of keep my my um, 
my like casual investing and my poker are kind of in the same pile. I think of them kind of along they're, they're It's all kind of leisure experience. That's, That's really yeah. healthy. So, um, so it, it's but ideal in pretty small um, amounts. So, um, but yeah, like I think, but I, but I mean like a hundred bucks, I think like I can take a hundred bucks and make it like, I, I'm confident that I could turn that into something more down the line. So I would, I would maybe hold out for more, but I would probably do it for as little as that. All right. We'll eat cicadas later. I'm going to save this Ryan day, Ryan day as a QB whisperer question, because as it turns out, we got some other good Ryan day questions. And I think I would maybe like our Friday podcast to be a Ryan day podcast. So I'm going to save the Ryan day question and move on to number seven. Does an Ohio state quarterback have a chance to be ranked in PFF's top 10 after this season? We just did the big PFF ranking with our new friend, Anthony Tresh from PFF. We did that last week. Um, We talked about, Thayer Munford, Nicholas Petit-Frere, Haskell Garrett, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, uh, all the guys that are ranked in the top 10 right now. Who am I missing? There was one more because it was it was six overall. It was the two receivers, the two tackles, Haskell. defensive tackle, Haskell Garrett, and Tyreek Smith. Tyreek Smith yeah. was a six. Yeah. So those six guys. So at the end of the year, could they be in the top 10? I mean, I think the answer is is definitely yes, right? I mean, like based on – being part of a great offense and just like doing your job and having a nice completion percentage and getting some yards after the catch from your receivers and making smart plays. I think you wouldn't even have to, you know, I think because a lot of the PFF stuff sometimes is like efficiency related, right? That it's not, we said last year, Justin Fields didn't exactly put up 400 passing yards a game, but he was super efficient. So Steven, I think it's definitely possible. I would be shocked if they weren't, to be honest with you, just I'm going back and relooking at the list right now. There's only maybe three or four guys on this list where I'm confident they'll still be on it at the end of the year and they'll all be like the top four guys. So I'd be shocked. It's like, could they yeah. be better than Matt Corral from old? Right. Miss? I, I get sure. Of course they could be. I mean, I was looking at the, the, the PFF top 10 returning for this season and like Michael Penix is fifth on that list and his efficiency rating last year was 136.53, which frankly is, is good, but not like fantastic. Like Justin Fields is more up in like the 170s, 180s. Um, and I think actually his 2019 season might have been even higher than that. He might have been um, up closer to 200 that year, if I remember right. Uh, 181. It was the Joe Burrow 2019 year. It was 202. So that, that's where you start getting into rare. But but could uh, you're right that it, like the counting stats aren't going to matter. It's going to be more things more like efficiency and um, adjusted completion percentage and those sort of things that they look at. The other thing I will say that would put them on a list like this one, it, it, there's a difference between top 10 at the end of the year or what I'm talking about, which is top 10 coming into this year after the other guys clear out. So I think that's a different question, right? They probably won't yeah. be on the list to start the year because I mean, nobody knows anything about them, and that would just be irresponsible. But the idea of, like, number seven on the on the list right now for PFF is Grayson McCall at of Coastal Carolina, and they run the triple option. Like, he, he's higher than DJ Uyungle is right now. So, like, yeah. Yeah, I think they could be on, like, a year-end list and then also, like, a list a year from now when they're mm-hmm. previewing. But I, I think both are possible. Both are uh, or they just go – or they just go insert quarterback next year just because well, we have no idea whether they're going to keep the job or not. Yeah, I think there's a very good chance that they're on this kind of list, the top 10 coming back for next year. It's harder to make the other one, but I, I, I still do think it's possible. All right, Coke or Pepsi? We're doing the Pepsi challenge. Nuts for the Bucks in the 513. This question is for all three of you, Coke or Pepsi? And, of course, for me, it's Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi. 
Uh, Nathan, do you have strong feelings on this either way? Um, I, I, I have strong feelings about Diet Pepsi. Does anybody like Diet Pepsi? Um, as f- I will drink it. I'm not like I will it drink if, it too. I'm not super picky. I would never. I definitely don't like. I'll give my answer later. I don't know that. I don't know a ton of people who pick Diet Pepsi over I, Diet Coke. And I actually don't even know a ton of people who pick Pepsi over Coke. I just feel like Pepsi is like definitely second to most people. And it almost makes me want to have Pepsi people on the podcast. I do. I actually do like Pepsi over Coke and I like Pepsi. I like Pepsi Max or whatever over Coke Zero, but I like Diet Coke over Diet Pepsi by like a landslide. And my favorite soda is Diet Dr. Pepper. Actually, I think that's the best soda. But Stephen, do you consume soda? Where are you on this? I don't drink pop. So I'm going to expand this to Coke products versus Pepsi products and go Coke products. So I love Minute Maid lemonade. Okay, that's good. That's legit. Because a lot of times like you, that matters because the grocery store will be like sometimes either the Pepsi products are on sale or the Coke products are yeah. on sale. It's like, hey, you can get three 12 packs of which brand. And when it's the Coke products, I'm much more excited than Pepsi products. Um, I definitely I don't mind diet Pepsi. I like to drink a lot of the flavored diet Cokes. I like like diet. I like vanilla yeah. uh, Coke Zero vanilla. I like I like diet cherry Coke a lot. I like diet lime. I don't like any, I don't drink diet Pepsi flavored. There's like a diet Pepsi lemon that I think is terrible. There's some weird, I don't, if I'm going to drink diet Pepsi, I drink it straight, but I just, I, I don't even know in the, in America, what the breakdown would be. I would imagine that America, whether it's Coke or diet Coke, do you think it's a 75, 25? Oh yeah. Especially mm-hmm. when you start talking about the diet, like diet Coke, I think is like, it's almost our national beverage. Yeah, I still yeah. remember. Yeah, I remember I've told the story when like we used to do weekly Heisman Trophy calls with Troy Smith during the 2000 season when they were trying to come up, promote uh, promote uh, Troy Smith. And the one time it was like Troy Smith wasn't available. So I think it was Jay Richardson who does TV in Columbus. Now they put him on. It's like all these national reporters are on a call to talk to Troy Smith and they're talking like to a defensive lineman instead. And so like nobody had anything to ask. And someone said, um, Jay, do you have any questions you'd like to ask us? And he was like, yeah, why do you all drink Diet Coke so much? And it was like, that was the realest thing that I've ever heard anyone say. That like a 20-year-old football player was asking a bunch of old football writers why they like Diet Coke so much. Okay. Transfers. Nathan, will we be getting any highly rated transfers from the 619 I think we've covered it, but we may as well remind the good people about what happened with Henry, the linebacker, and then maybe what else is still possible. Right. So Henry Toa Toa, who was a, a you know formerly highly rated uh, prospect and um, had a good couple of years at Tennessee, ended up transferring to Alabama. Ohio State was kind of considered the like runner up in that scenario. And I know there was a lot of, of smoke at one point about him being imminently committing to Ohio state, but that obviously never happened. And then the other name that has gotten connected and was sort of connected earlier in the cycle and has now come back since the Toa Toa decision is, um, Palea Geotote. I, I, I still don't know how to pronounce that. I've tried to look it up. Um, the USC linebacker, a former five-star guy who his career has never really gotten going at USC because of injuries. I mean, he's, I think he's had like 14 starts, over the course of his career, it's not that he has never played, but he's never been able to stay on the field for a full season yet because various injuries keep coming up. 
So that is out there. There is supposedly mutual interest, um, but that's kind of been dragging on for a while. Texas was heavily involved at one point, and there was even some projections that that's where he was headed. And then the Toa Toa thing happened, and Ohio State got back into it. So that's the one that's still kind of hanging out there. And whether he comes in right away and uh, forces his way into the starting lineup or whether he would come in and be just a another veteran depth piece at a position where they could probably use some, you know, especially after Mitchell Melton goes down in the spring with an injury. Um, I, I don't know. Again, it, part of it is just how healthy he is and how he can stay on the field. But it's um, that linebacker has throughout this offseason cycle seemed like the position where Ohio State could benefit or could potentially even just land a high impact transfer. I will say it's interesting when they landed Jonah Jackson, like we all saw the hole on the offensive line. It's like they needed Jonah Jackson. When they landed Justin Fields, it was like, you, if you don't want to live in Tate Martell land, you need a quarterback. We all saw the hole last year when Trey Sermon got here. It's like they, they need a running back. I, the hole at linebacker quote marks hole just does not seem as big to me as those previous holes felt. And the idea that they continue to be involved with these guys just it seems to I mean it has to be some at least minor indication of what they think of their linebackers. And right. it's like you're not like totally cool with Dallas Gant, Taraja Mitchell kind of holding it down, and then Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman at Bullet, and like Mitchell Melton and Reed Carrico and some of these younger younger guys behind them, like Cody Simon, like yeah, Stevens guy Cody Simon, like you don't think that's enough. Like I'm I, from my perspective, I'm a little surprised at not, it's not desperation, but they can, it's like, well, they didn't get the first guy and they immediately went to the second guy. I don't know. Like, I, I just think, I don't know that there's any all Americans. I mean, you when I had great players, I don't know that they have any all Americans at linebacker, but they have a bunch of guys have been waiting to play. I think they'll be okay. If they don't get a transfer. Our textures have made that same remark a couple times, or maybe it's the same texture asking it multiple times. But like, is should we be reading something into what Ohio State thinks of its inside linebackers right now that they keep being in the mix for these other inside linebackers? And we've theorized about that before that like we can't just assume that Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant, and I suppose now Kayvon Pope, who doesn't look like he's going to be involved in the bullet, that he has to move back inside. And like, there's a reason why those guys weren't starting ahead of the linebackers that played the last three, four years. Now, some of them ended up being fairly high NFL draft picks. So that tells you something, but like, we can't, I guess, assume that those guys just come in and play amazing right away. And then maybe that the, the coaching staff does know something, but you also have to remember again, Mitchell Melton gets hurt uh, and is, is out for an extended period of time and probably not playing this season. Dallas Gantt miss the spring with an injury. Now you're supposed to be good for the summer, but there's some uh, uncertainty there. So this might just be a matter of, Hey, there's a really good talent out there. And even if you're just adding him in from a depth standpoint, if he's willing to come here and play that role, then why would they not take him? Cause they've got the scholarship room now for, for sure. I think that's a, a really fair way to look at it. And I don't think a lot of people are going to look at transfers and like in that situation, especially in this one time transfer rule, you're expecting if you're bringing in a transfer, he's plugging and playing and he's going to make an impact for you. So you're probably thinking if he's not going to do if he's unless he's bringing something to the table that you don't feel like somebody on your roster can already do, why bring him in? But if that's if it's just a depth situation, I can understand that, except are they going to be playing a lot of linebackers this year? It seems like they're going to play two line inside linebackers in that bullet. So do you need ridiculous depth for only two linebacker spots when, I mean, you've had some pretty good linebacker recruits over the last couple of cycles here. But I guess then how, what, what do you, what is the necessary depth? Because right now you've got Taraja Mitchell, who's including inside linebacker. 
You've got Cody Simon, who's healthy and is an anti-linebacker. You've got Dallas Gantt, who might be healthy. You've got Reed Carrico, who's a true freshman. And you've got Kayvon Pope, who is like a converted outside linebacker that may or may not even have a, a, a natural spot to play on this team. And then so you've got... There is, I do understand, I guess, just from a depth standpoint, why they might want to add a body. I just think it's six people, basically one at Mike, three at Mike and three at Will, enough depth there. But but the other thing with, with uh, Gayatote is Mitchell, Gant, Pope are all scheduled to leave. And this is a guy who can be here for two years. Yeah, yeah. And I think this yeah. is this is what's going to happen more, right? It's like, so far, Ohio State's thing has been like, holy moly, we need a starter. We went and got a starter level player. In the in the I, the world of like more transfers, maybe they'll just be more like this, that like a guy comes in, but just like every recruit isn't a starter. Maybe every transfer isn't a starter, but I do... I, I am intrigued by it. I think it means a little something, even if it's just that maybe Dallas Gantt's health is more of a question mark than we realize at the moment, because I just don't think it's a world where it's like Mitchell Melton got hurt. Holy moly. We don't have enough linebackers. Like there has to be something else beyond that. So we'll see. All right. I'm going to skip one more. We're going to come back and do two more questions and then be done on this slow burn version of rapid fire, which is kind of how we do rapid fire. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, I'm going to save the Greg Studrava recruiting question for you guys. Maybe you can hit it on Buckeye Football Futures. Or, yeah, you know, we got, some, we got some other good questions. Did you guys have a specific plan for uh, the Thursday pod? Yeah, we're doing offensive linemen. Yeah. yeah, so this can actually help kind of – what's the word I'm looking for here? Guide it a little bit. Okay, well, I'll send that along, and you guys will, will have that for the next one. This is also kind of recruiting issue, a uh, recruiting issue from the 614. It's Nick in Dublin. Opt-outs have been talked about a bunch over the last few years with players who are going to be high draft picks, but 2022 Texas running back recruit Jaden Blue just opted out of his senior year of high school to prep for college. To me, this seems laughable and looks bad on the kid, but while I think it's absurd and comparing this to business decisions involving millions of dollars or two opposite ends of the spectrum, do you guys think this will slowly become more commonplace, just like NFL draft opt-outs have become over the last few years? So again, Nick from Dublin, thanks for that question. Clearly, it's like another big step in this, right? That it's like if, okay, Micah Parsons and and uh, Panay Sewell and guys like that opted out of the pandemic and it didn't hurt their draft status, are we going to see things where juniors in college just don't play at all because they're prepping for the draft and they don't want to get hurt? I don't know that I think that's going to become like a huge thing that came up when Nick Bosa got hurt in 2018 and maybe could have recovered to come back a little bit at the end of the year and chose to sort of like, no, I'm just not going to do that. You know, Nick had a very legitimate injury and people brought that up. Then our guy's going to stop playing. Um, I understand a kid doing this, but Steven, like, I think guys like to play sports that there is, I, I mean, not to be naive about it, but I think maybe a select few guys will do this, but, and I, and I, I guess I don't think that it will like kill their chances of getting recruited or anything. Like I, I actually don't know. I, I think you could opt out, put, put down film your sophomore and junior year, go to camps, show out, not play your senior year, work out like a maniac, go to a few more camps and that like, you'd be fine for I do think that's possible. That's just not quite as fun as high school football. So I just don't think it's going to be an epidemic of this. 
No, and also I think you could talk to any coach in America. They'd rather their kid play high school football their senior year. I mean, Travion and ESPN wrote it. Jadon Blue is the number 48 player in the country, number three running back, and he is committed to Texas. So, no, it's not going to hurt his recruitment there. He's still going to go there. I guarantee you if we – I mean, Ryan Day has said it. He probably would have rather Travion Henderson and Jack Sawyer play football last year. It's understandable why they didn't. If Travion Henderson had to play the senior year, he wouldn't have just gone through spring practice. He would just now be getting here because Virginia's playing this spring. And COVID, it's like with Jackets, look, you're coming off an MCL injury. You're, you're not going to – he's closed to Pickerington North, and he's probably not going to win a state title. Why put yourself in that types of harm's way when you don't necessarily have to take a little bit more time to you know, rehab and do all that stuff? So both of those are understandable. This kid's fully healthy, and it's just – I don't know what the benefit is of him not playing that I I, 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 his reasoning is I want to save a little bit of my body. Cause I am a running back, which I get the shelf life of a running back is a little shorter than any other position, but it's, it's like you're, you're 17. And do, do we feel like you're going to be the starting running back at Texas in 2022? Probably not because B. John Robinson will be a junior and he'll be the starting running back at Texas. So it's, I don't see a benefit of him sitting out a senior year. Sometimes like this, there's a long history of, I think, families sometimes taking things to an extreme. I was just reminded of when I worked in uh, Danville, Illinois, I covered high schools there. There was a kid who was a basketball player, uh, pretty tall, but not like a seven footer from what I remember, but high sixes and but but not like a major, major college prospect. And he tore his ACL either in like maybe in the summer AC uh, AAU stuff going into his senior year. So he basically dropped out of school for a year and used it as kind of like a medical redshirt and then came back to school for what would have been his like freshman year of college as a senior. And I don't think, yeah, I don't even know if he ever even played college sports, but it was all about like saving his chances of playing college sports. And it's like, I feel like sometimes families take this to an extreme. I would just be curious, like, what college coach, like, I'm did, did this guy even ask his college coach for feedback? Because I think you're right, Stephen. Like, what college coach would rather have a player who hasn't played in two years by the time it's going to be his freshman year? Like, I, I don't who, – who would want that as, as, like, the default scenario? Did he – did he play last year as a junior? He did. He did, and he had 2,000 oh, – he had over 2,100 yards and 30 touchdowns, averaging nine and a half yards per carry. So listen, J.K. Dobbins, his senior year of high school, got hurt on the first carry of the season. And then when he got to Ohio State, he ran for 180 yards in the first game. So, like, you know, you you don't need – but, but like, so there's the choice, but then there's the – it's the reality of, like, well, if you don't play, are you going to be rusty? Are you going to – it's like, well, we have examples of guys sitting a year, and they're fine. So I understand that, but I guess it's, would it be a matter? It's a matter of like, do coaches view it negatively? Do they think, I mean, like, but NFL guys were saying like, ah, those opt out guys, I didn't want to. And then they got drafted and they were fine. And we'll see what's Panay Sewell like as a rookie. What's Micah Parsons like as a rookie? Are they better or are they worse? I am actually very intrigued by guys who didn't play because of COVID last year, whether they opted out of major league baseball or opted out of the NFL. I think for guys who have been around for a long time, I think it's very, very, very possible that we're going to find out sitting out a full year in the middle of your career, like not an injured year and not that you're rehabbing, but just like at age 28 
or age 30, just giving your body a year to reset is actually like a great idea. Buster Posey for the San Francisco Giants opted out last year. He's hitting like 350 this year. Eduardo Rodriguez for the Red Sox actually, I think, got COVID last year and was out all of last year. He pitched pretty well to start this season. I am I think there might be like a, you know what? You go so hard your whole life. When you're going to be a professional athlete, a lot of you guys from age 12 are going super hard year round. You know what? Not such a bad thing to just give your body a year. But the idea is, but do coaches, do GMs, do managers, do draft people penalize you for it? If there's not a penalty, I'm not sure it's a terrible idea, but also playing sports is fun. So I don't think we're going to have an epidemic of seniors in high school being like, eh, I'm good. Yeah, I no, think that's because part for of it one, I think there is a big difference between you sat out a bowl game that meant nothing or you sat out because we're in a pandemic and you didn't want to like, I, you don't know, we don't know your family situation and you don't want to put people in your family at risk of catching a disease that we, at the time a big difference right. for who for the people evaluating you for the coaches yeah, and the recruiters. I think, I think, yeah, I think for Michael Parsons and Jamar chase and Panet, it, that was understandable why you opted out because no, I know, but that. who do you think cares? We get it. We get the difference. I who think cares? coaches who? and I think coaches and evaluators will care if you just opted out for the sake of opting out. Because you think they'll view them negatively. You're not a competitor. You're whatever. yeah. I, I, yeah. I, think I don't like, know what, you're fully healthy. What are you doing here? Like, listen, Lamelo Ball, like, went to Australia and, and, play, and played and, and sucked played and played against like guys who weren't as good as me. And everybody was like, "What is he doing?" And he was bad. His team was weird. He didn't get the same experience at all as if he played college basketball. It was jacked up. And then he got to the NBA and he tore it mm-hmm. up. And it was weird. And I'm not so sure, like, he went to Australia and played with weird Australian dudes. He might have been better off playing in his driveway. But he didn't need a year of high competition. And he, when it was time to go, he went, man. I didn't think he would. He did. So I just wonder about, like, non-traditional paths. And, like, not playing is a very non-traditional path. But he's going to work out. He's going to train. Like, I, I'm curious. I do wonder if running back, even if you're, you're arguing what I was arguing before, we're leaning that way, is, is running back almost the one position that's the big exception? Because people do talk so much about like the wear and tear and the, the burden on your legs and how many shots you take and, and all that stuff. I could see running back being different as opposed to like an offensive lineman who you may end up having to redshirt anyway, which kind of becomes that year away. Not that you're not training that whole time, but it becomes a year away from the physical beating of, of playing a season of football. Um, I don't think you would want that from a quarterback, right? Like a whole year off of it's, it's certainly not the ideal. I could see a coach being with a running back, almost like specifically that skill group being like, okay, maybe there's some value there because it just saves the wear and tear on a position where it, there seems to be guys uh, crap out a little bit earlier sometimes just because of the wear and tear. But at any other position, I would think that any college coach would rather have you on the field which takes me back to uh, you're right it maybe is the exception except i don't think there's an expectation there of him to be the starting running back who gets it 25 times 
because Bijan Robinson will still be there as their five-star potential first-round draft pick. Now, if it was a situation right. where, like, that is the expectation where he might come, like with Travion Henderson, and he's like, there's an expectation he might be coming the starter from day one. It, yeah, then I get it a little bit. It's like one less year of wear and tear. But if you're not going to get that same wear and tear the very next year, then I'm not getting it. But it's about it's about removing a year of the accumulation. It's not necessarily about what would happen just that Fair. next year. I do think in the end. So if you said in five years that four of the top 20 running back recruits in the country opted out of their senior year of high school, I, I think that would be possible. Like if it works for this kid, if it's not a complete disaster, I think, Nathan, you make a good point about it being very maybe specific to this position. Steven, I, mean, I think you make a good point that it's like, I think there will be some coaches who won't love it. But I just think everybody's getting a little, listen, a lot of guys are, they're going to be more and more guys going to the G League to do that. And again, I, as to your point, Steven, it's very different to play somewhere different as opposed to not playing. But if you're working out with one of these personal trainers, I follow this uh, coach Shabazz who does this training in Kentucky. Like I think Darius, Darius Baisley didn't play, right? He was going to go to yeah. Ohio state. He was going to go to Syracuse. He didn't play at all. He went in the first round. He's in the league. That's mm-hmm. where he worked out for a year. Like you're doing hardcore stuff. You're not playing a game on a Friday night and who's basketball, not football, but like arguably if you compare like high school football practice and a game on Friday to your personal trainer putting you through stuff, you might be like in better shape yeah. and be doing more hardcore stuff with trainer. And then you're just not risking some dude like, you know, diving in helmet first and spearing your knee and you're out for the season. So I, I don't think it's going to be an epidemic. I think we could see certain guys try it. Let's finish off with this. From the 804, do other Buckeye news outlets go as hard as you guys all year? Does the competition keep up your pace? Thanks. So a lot of people on this beat, a lot of them that work hard, work hard. The idea that we do five podcasts a week that are this long and we do it 52 weeks a year is freaking insane. And so nobody does that. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you are a tech subscriber, we put a lot into the pod and the texts, and that does take up a lot of time. Usually in the summer and the off season, if you're not doing pod and text, which is like what my job was for the first 12 or 13 or 14 years I did this, then it's like you don't write as much. It's like you go hard during the season and the off season, you peel back a little bit. With the pods and the text, there's no peeling. We are not peeling, really. We're, I mean, like we're, and we started even a thing where we text more now. We're doing the questions every day and we have not peeled back on pods. Nobody else does that. I don't know that that means that we're better or smarter than anybody. It's just what we do. Nathan, it's a little bonkers. It, it is, it is yeah. frankly a little bonkers that we do a college football podcast five days a week, 52 weeks a year, and we started doing it in a pandemic, and the pandemic is ending, and I don't think, <laughs> I don't think we're going to stop potting five days a week. I'll admit, I mean, that is, that is very hardcore of us. Yeah, nobody else does the daily pod like that. Um, at least, and certainly not to the the links that we do it. Buck but I nuts, think, I think Buck Nuts Morning Five, I think, is like a very regular thing. Dave Biddle is up and yeah. cranking that baby out. Mm-hmm. Credit yeah. to Dave Biddle, but yeah. they're not going eighty minutes a day. Correct, right? And um, but I do think everyone has kind of their niche that they fill to some extent. 
this is what we really lean into is our niche with between this and the texting, the kind of the Buckeye talk identity. There's other people who I think devote like even more resources to recruiting. And there's other people who see themselves as um, have like a more institutional lean to it. Like, so I think it, what I think is interesting about this beat is that there are enough people taking a unique number one, there's just the number of outlets covering it. But then the, if, if enough of them take a, a unique route to covering the team, then I think a lot of bases get covered. I think it's, it, it'd be interesting as a fan that a lot of things get, get um, you get a lot of opinion, you get a lot of news, you get a lot of takes, like you get uh, um, and explanations and, and all those feature stories that are out there. Like, I think you get a lot of things covered by this beat. Um, but uh, ours is, is unique sometimes just in the amount of time that it takes to do this five days a week. Yeah, there are a lot of people who cover this team, but if we're there's probably five or six who like you could who could say we do something and the way we do it, no one does it harder than the way we do it. Whether for us it's the text and the podcast, it might be, you know, Byrne being what he does for Letterman Row or David Biddle doing what he but there's only about five or six of those outlets, even if there are maybe ninety million people on Zoom calls. Yeah. So I mean, we're not gonna we we do go hard and we are proud of the fact that, that we go hard, but we really have leaned into the podcast. We're just in your ears every day. I don't listen. I mean, I'm not, I know like the New York times does their daily, right? Like I'm trying to like, there's not, I mean, I guess there are people who are professional podcasters. Does Joe Rogan have a podcast every day? I don't even know. Like the people who are like it's professional for real. I think it's once or twice a week. Cause I know well, Bill Simmons is once or twice a week. He ain't going five days a week. What are we doing? <sighs> What are we doing? Why are we doing? I'm trying to Seriously. think. I don't think I only listen to I, uh, Effectively Wild, which is a baseball podcast, uh, kind of a nerdy baseball podcast. I think they're five days a week. To be fair, Maybe it's not four. the same pod every single. It's not like it would, it would be like Bill Simmons doesn't do the Bill Simmons podcast every day, but he's on a podcast every day. It's Buckeye Talk is the umbrella, but we've got all these different, you know, unique things that we do on a date, like BFF, Retalkables, uh, Buckeye Fly Effect. Like it's it's a different thing every day, so it's it's it, it feels like a lot, but they're so unique in what the angles we take every day that you know we're able to get through it, and it doesn't seem like as crazy as I, if we were doing three hour pods every single day on the same subject. I do wonder sometimes how many people can possibly listen to everyone though. I mean, if I had a podcast that I liked and like I literally had seven hours a week that I had to listen to it, I don't think I'd be able to get through it all. And there have to be people like this who just bail on a couple. I would imagine there have to be right. I mean, you, you find the ones you like. I think it's probably it's, it's got to be at this point. You do the big one and then you find one or two others of the subjects we do in the offseason that you like, whether it's BFF or Buckeye Fly or Retalkables or anything else. And those are your staples and everything else you play catch up when you can. It's like binge watching a show. Yeah. No one actually watches TV live anymore. No, you just wait and binge watch it after it's all on Hulu. We uh, we are going to have pages uh, at uh, Cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk where you'll be able to find like all the Buckeye retalkables. And, uh, you know, if you want to find, hey, I missed a retalkable here. Here's where they all are. Here's where the, all the Buckeye fly effects are, that kind of thing. So you'll be able to keep track of that. So, yeah, lots of people go hard. I have a lot of respect for a lot of people who do different things on this Ohio state beat. And the reason that we all do this is because Ohio state football is a 365 day a year thing. Cause you guys are interested in it 365 days a year. So it is like an antiquated idea to think that like there was ever a time when it was like, well, it's not football season. Nobody's going to write or talk about football for three months. It's like, what are you talking about in America? It's always football season. So that's why we're always here.
All right. That's our big Wednesday pod Thursday, Buckeye football futures Friday. Look for a heavy Ryan day pod for Friday. I think that will be which, which way we go with that. And then uh, got a lot of stuff lined up for next week. We always appreciate you guys listening. Read cleveland.com slash Buckeye talk. Apple reviews. We'll certainly take them. Texts 614-350-3315. 14-day free trial. $3.99 a month after that. For Nathan Baird, for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.